fears of tripping on time. Be there! Scour the spaceways! Explore vast alien worlds! This tin right here contains the whole rigmarole. I used to smoke about an ounce of hash every day. Good. And it made me go a little bonkers. Maybe. If I occupy his mind with more duties, I can control his space. Hi. Big fat Hi. doobies. Hi. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. What's up, everybody? Today Sunday, February 14th, 2016. This is episode 173 of the Hotbox. I'm Matt. That's Gooey. Uh, today we got a special guest for you. We've been trying to get this guy on for a while. Came out with this awesome documentary called Grounded. You can find it at groundedthemovie.com. Uh, his name's Sean Patrick Crowell. And uh, he has two uncles that have a pretty interesting story. And I, I know, Gooey, you haven't watched it. I've watched it. So I don't want to, like, give away any spoilers. So I'll let Sean kind of give you the rundown of, like, what this is about. And then we'll get into the, the whole behind the scenes and how this story came to be. So uh, welcome to the Hotbox, Sean. It's great to have you. Thanks, Matt. Gooey, it's great to be here. I appreciate you reaching out to me. Yeah, the the film was great, and after I mean we've we've seen a lot of these come out on Netflix, like Kid Cannabis and stuff like that, that are more not maybe as true to life as as you would like it. So when uh, I saw your email and and checked it out, it was like, wow, this is like a real story of like some real shit that happened back in the seventies. Like this is cool. So uh, yeah, tell us about it. Um, basically, the story is about my two uncles who were marijuana smugglers in the seventies. And uh, it had been kind of uh, evolved as like uh, when I was a kid, I would just hear little bits of it, you know, like, oh, you know, I knew my one uncle was a pilot. Uh, we came from a family of pilots and he'd become a pilot. And you would hear like, man, we landed on this dirt strip and then everything would kind of get hushed. And then, you know, there was, you know, by the time I was like 10, I knew what these guys did, but you never really, it's not like everybody sat down Thanksgiving and told the whole story. So I, as I got into college, I would learn more and more and more. And then finally, um, uh, I was just like, i got to make a movie about this. So I had done a previous documentary in kind of like a, almost in a way to prepare me to do this one. So, and uh, that was that was kind of how it all evolved. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I, I can totally see that, like being a kid and like how, overhearing bits and pieces and then everyone getting real quiet when you came in the room. Like, and that was the third time we landed on this dirt strip. Oh, oh, the kids in the room. Shh. Yeah, exactly. And eventually it just kind of became, oh, so here. No, no you kind of, you kind of did like just some detective work and it became more and more interesting. And then you're like, okay, this, this has to be made. Like people have to hear this story. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously the, um, you know, my uncles, uh, for a lot of that time period lived at our, in our apartment with my mom and I, <laughs> so I would, you know, I knew probably a lot more than most, you know, seven to 10 year olds. Right. You know? <laughs> 12 and 13 year olds knew so um you know but kind of in you know the, we're all irish so we kind of uh make light of dark situations and different things like that so i mean that was always kind of the joke and stuff like that so it was really kind of fun and the storytelling aspect is just revealed to me as i got older and older and then what really kind of when i made the decision i uh, the producer on this film in my last film uh, a woman named liz liz newman who i worked with for a long time and i remember going to her office and really pitching her like okay let's do this because it's not like we're you know we're not out there making documentary film people aren't out there making money they're out there making stories so right. you really have to sell a good story to get a team together to be willing to 
sacrifice their time and their money and their efforts to make this movie. So I sat down with her and she was, her first instinct was let's call them. So we, we actually did a conference call and we all just started talking to them about it. And it was basically my uncles at that point, um, their amazing story of going down to Columbia many, many, many times and sneaking these planes, these DC fours and DC threes into uh, the United States clandestinely, and then distributing this pot all over the country. I mean, that was just pretty, uh, I mean, it was kind of edgier seat storytelling. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, fun. it's it's very reminiscent of uh, the movie Blow, when they first start out with the weed, and then, you know, obviously they, they got into other things. But, yeah, I, I can see that as, like, wow, this is, this is like, that story, but it's real. Like, you, the, these are your, this is your family. That's, that's great. And, and it wasn't, like, a one-time thing. I mean, they did Yeah, yeah, for, this was our job, oh, right? Gosh. Nine to five, <laughs> flying well, planes. <laughs> but I think that's where, like, I mean, I think you do it once or twice. And I mean, I know it was thrilling to be involved in. Oh, but I'm the sure. stories come back, and then you know, all of a sudden, the filter comes off. You know, five, six, seven years in, you know, so I would just hear these crazy stories. So, but really, as a filmmaker, you know, that's just one side of the story. And I knew that going in, even though my my uncles are both really charming storytellers, and <laughs> they're you know they're fun, and you really do listen to them. I knew I needed to get somebody from the other side, and I was like, how the hell am I going to do that? Because you know, undercover cops aren't people that have um, news stories written. You know, they don't right. name them in news stories. I mean, you have to really kind of search. So what I did, I just started sending out blind emails and <laughs> finally got one back from a guy who knew, who was a police officer and knew the two guys. And after he kind of, you know, about a month of me back and forth with this guy, yeah. uh, his name is... Um, Jerry, uh, Jerry Ward and Jerry Schubel were the two undercover guys. And um, another gentleman had put me in touch with them eventually after a month after he realized I wasn't some crazy person. So <laughs> the, their end of the story was held up equally. So yeah, it was really great. They they did a little vetting, it seems like. And they were like, all right, he's <laughs> he's just trying to get both sides of the story. We can we can do that. It, it happened long enough ago, you know. It's, yeah, it's okay. I mean, they, were both, they were both retired at the time, but they were both very much still um, – law enforcement yeah it, it had a very like a, a very good old boy feel when he was yeah. the way he was talking about it it, it was yeah that that and, whole part and, was cool and good old boy in the best sense of the of the word yeah yeah and yeah. that's how those guys are and they were very uh we flew them to los angeles to do their interviews and we flew them together and jerry ward brought his wife and um i remember i picked them up at the airport and i was very excited to meet them and <laughs> I took them back to the hotel and I said, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll come back and we'll have drinks and you know, go you know, have dinner. And they said, okay, great. So I went back to the bar and um, they came down and they sat down <laughs> and they had this like massive, they, they brought the case file. So every, all the transcripts from the oh, wow. um, their dealings were there. So for me, I was thrilled because that was a year of research that I was literally being handed. Yeah. And then they had this little manila folder on the top, and they just sat it there, and they didn't say anything, but I knew what it was. I didn't know what the manila folder was, but I knew that that was the case file. And uh, they said, see that manila folder there? And I was like, yeah. And they said, you've been checked out by every government organization in the country. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> and I was like, like, part of me was like, 
Like, well, that's a boring story. I can't even believe you have a middle of a folder in there. And we go, yeah, there's nothing in it. You, you, you know, your your life is pretty much milk toast. But I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but like the back of your mind, you're a little bit creeped out by that. Yeah, know? that's that's odd. These guys have a giant file, and he has none. <laughs> yeah, it was very funny. That's cool. They seem like, I mean, the the feeling that came across in the film, like, they seem like they were really good sports about it. Like, they they almost knew that, like, oh, these guys are just dealing with cannabis. They're not, like, running guns. They're not running coke. Like, they knew they had to do it because it was their job, and I'm sure they believed in it, you know, back then, the 70s, with the whole reefer madness thing. But it seems like, in hindsight, they they had a a very lighthearted feel uh, about it. I think that, um, you know, one, they took their job very seriously. Yeah, yeah. But within the parameters of that, I think that they, I mean, they, that's what they did every day. They chased guys like my uncles every day and people that were, um, you know, like coke smugglers and, you know, people nowhere near as charismatic as your uncle, I'm sure. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, I think they're actually when they get into the at that time we're talking the eighties, you know, the early eighties, so the Reagan era eighties, um, before uh things got pretty ugly. And at that time it was almost like a romance with these guys. A very much uh you know, cat and mouse game, you know, where are they gonna put these guns? Are they gonna get it? You know? Right. That was kind of a cool thing and I don't think the film would be nearly as good without their side of the story because you get these four perspectives of the same night. You know, and it's just really kind of interesting that way. Yeah, you you get the whole story. It's it's yeah, it's definitely excellent. And the way you put it together, like the way the storytelling flows throughout with the different people involved and stuff, it was really well done. I can see how that probably took a very long time to to put together. Well, it was kind of like um, from the filmmaker's perspective, I was really trying to get all of them to tell. I mean, they all have four separate versions of the same story. And there's obviously a little bit more of a lead-in with my uncles, but then you know, at a, at a very uh, in an apex, they all come together and they're telling the same story. And the more that I could get, and, and those guys, we had worked for months, you know, to get the story the way that you know the, to refresh their memories and to get it all very fluent. And I I considered the success and the fact that that it flowed from each storyteller, you know, one story. So it was really kind of nice to have all their perspectives kind of woven into one. Uh, it wasn't easy, but, you know, I had a lot of great people, you know, with me, you know, to do that. And one of them is Brian Davison, our editor. He did a fantastic job. So it was a true collaboration with him. Yeah, it definitely it, it definitely shows. It's really well done. Um, before we get into some, like, maybe uh, teaser tidbits of some of the stories of what happened, did you have any questions, Gooey, just to start off? Well, you know, I saw the trailer uh i apologize i haven't seen the entire documentary and i was just really impressed by the professionalism of the whole thing i mean it's a it's a real freaking documentary this is not some little youtube you know backyard project it's the real deal and and these guys seem uh very uh i don't know sincere and real and you know it's not something that is you know, so gritty, the children, the teen, you know, our teenage children can't see it or anything like that. But I think it's really uh, a manifestation of the reality of prohibition. If it was illegal, you said they did most of their smuggling in the 1980s? Yeah, early 70s and 80s. Okay, you know, in 70s was, like you were saying, kind of the cool period. In the 80s, you know, Reagan gets in there and it gets all creepy. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, just... It, 
it's 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 really a great example of what prohibition produced and it's it's neat that during the 70s they were able to kind of turn that into like you say a cat and mouse game because that's kind of the innocent optimistic side of, of prohibition if there is one well it's kind of like i mean the the law enforcement guys you know i uh, really looked at these folks as like as hippies i mean they weren't some uh you know gun toting you know uh coked out crazy people yeah my uncle Terry, who was the pilot, he said at that time, he was like, you know, uh, nobody's going to kill you over a plain load of pot. <laughs> They'll kill you over a plain load of Coke. You know, yeah, and, that, and right. we're talking like 1983. So, and that was, a, that was a very real thing. He said, you know, there's no reason. I mean, they were very, they were not into guns or anything like that. Nice. So, nice. you know, and I think that that kind of resonated. You know, was certainly with the police officers that were involved. You know, once they get, I mean, by the time the, the undercover cops knew well before uh, this whole thing went down that there weren't going to be any guns, there wasn't going to be some big gunfight, but they still had to do their job and pr- do due diligence and protect themselves. So, I mean, you know, I, I think I don't think that they, uh, for a minute, thought that there was going to be any kind of uh, craziness. You know, once they exposed themselves as cops, you know, and uh, and and you know move the whole story forward i wonder like i wonder as the cops like how how do you get suited up and and geared up and prepared for like hippies with a pilot license with a plane full of weed you know (laughs) like what is the proper the unfortunate thing is you have to get yourself geared up yeah like you're dealing with the worst uh drug smokers yeah yeah definitely i just picture like what's going through some of their minds like it's really like i'm just going out there in jeans and a flannel like this is only going to take a minute Yeah. Well, if you look at some of the photos we had, that was the other great thing with having the cooperation of the law enforcement guys was that they gave me all the photos um, from the uh, spoiler alert uh, from the bus at the end of the film. I mean, I had all the mug shots of my uncles and other friends that I knew. That's <laughs> amazing. People that ate at our house. And <laughs> like, hey. <laughs> so we actually, um, an odd thing is that we had a, uh, not odd, but we had a really, we were, we were invited to go to the Pittsburgh Independent Film Festival, and it was a big crowd. It was actually a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. And afterward, there was a question and answer, and there now you have these old hippies that were there. Then the only point of reference that for some of them that I have were their mug shots, <laughs> and I was like worried because you know some of them were you know they were teachers and stuff like that, you know, and I tried to. Some of the folks, like when I did get all the mug shots, I would talk to my uncles and I go, what's this guy doing now? What's this guy doing now? I don't want to get anybody, you know, I don't want anybody to jeopardize their job now, you know, by being exposed, you know, um, and stuff. So we were very careful about anybody's reputations, but it was very funny at that screening. There's like, there was a picture of me in that movie. That's awesome. You to copy that? Like, the worst night of your life. You want to copy the picture? Oh, that's so awesome. very funny. <clears throat> did they they just gave you like the whole stack basically and you just got to pick through it and then you okayed you kind of ran it by your uncles to make sure like did, um, i'm curious yeah, like was, did you have a lot you couldn't use because of that or was no, it all you know what to a t there were i think there was like one guy's name that we kind of blared out just simply because um you know he has a very you know, now I think actually it's not a big deal anymore because he's retired. But you know, we, you know, it's just more of a family thing. Like, sure, you know, sure. Just didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to drag anybody into this that didn't want to be into it. 
And I mean, as a filmmaker, like if I didn't have a family connection to it, I mean, a lot of filmmakers would say, no, screw it. They were there on the night of the bus. We're going to, you know, right, right. ask their name all over the place. And, you know, it's I'm not that kind of guy. I'm just like, hey, you know, I don't want to. And, and, you know, the other thing is like when we started this film, uh, there were no states with legalized marijuana. I mean, that was a five-year project for me to start this film. I think we started in 2009. Um, you know, there were, at the time, I don't believe there were any, you know, so marijuana in some places was still pretty, you know, taboo, although like the ice was, you know, the ice was cracking for sure. And it's funny because I would think about, I would project out when we had the movie done, like what was the reception going to be? And I said, well, you know, it's still a, a great story. You know, it doesn't really, your attitudes on pot are not going to be changed by this film. Right. This isn't that kind of documentary. Yeah, this exactly. is telling a story and what you right. take from that is, is what you perceive. Yeah, you know? And my, my view of the story was that you were my uncles. They were just normal. They were my uncles. I loved them. They were the greatest guys in, in my life. And, you know, I was a little bit stunned that, you know, I was like, huh, well, they got busted, you know? And then, you know, I met these police officers who, you know, didn't know me from Adam. You know, and they were just gracious and kind, and I was really grateful for their participation. And I think that, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, it was funny because there were a lot of police officers I knew that came to the screening, and they're like, man, you know, when you're describing, you know, all the stuff that the cops did <laughs> as undercover guys, you know, I really related to that. And I was like, wow, that was something I didn't even think of, you know, right. because I had been so um, exposed, you know, my whole life with my uncle's side of the story. So, you know, it was really kind of interesting. <laughs> and now what I really find is that what we have as far as a film is more of a historical record of what a lot of people did to get pot into the country. Yeah. Right. That's the thing. Like, they weren't the only ones doing no, that. This is like one story of one cross section of time, you know, in, right. in that whole era. Right. I mean, there's uh Law enforcement guys showed me, like, they had all, I mean, it was probably every week, you know, that they're, you know, some something was coming in or they got called about the, the actual strip that these guys used in Hertzsburg, Alabama was a, it was a massively long runway and it was a privately owned by a company at the time that was like a, uh, it was called the Seahoy Plantation. I don't remember exactly what they did, but it was their private strip that they would fly their customers into to go hunting and different things like that. But they were always getting broken into because people were using the strip, you know, whether it was, you know, a twin engine Cessna or something like that landing there or, uh, in my uncle's case, a DC-4. <laughs> so they were always finding the bolts broken and, you know, people were in a hurry. So they're throwing shit all over the runways and stuff like that. So, I mean, these people would come in and, you know, having their private jets come in and they can't land because there's crap on the runway. You know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, they were getting sick of it and they actually had motion detectors and different things <laughs> that strip, you know, just to thwart that kind of stuff. So it was really kind of interesting. So it was also very interesting for me to go back to that. Um, um, that landing strip uh, and property had been um, sold a few times. And again, when I started the film, I was like, I need to go film at this, at this landing strip. And it's got a couple of buildings on the site, but it's literally in the middle of the woods. I mean, there's <laughs> woods all around the place. So I reached out to the police off the officers that were helping us, and I said, "Hey, can you get me onto that place?" And they said, "No problem. We've got contacts with the former governor, and you know we we can take care of that." And I was like, "Great." So they worked at it for about four or five weeks, and they came back and said, "You know, we had the governor, the former governor, 
his office call, and they said, no, they didn't want anything to do with the drug movie. <laughs> so I was like, shit, I'm going to be on the outside of a fence, you know, shooting a couple old hangers. I mean, how exciting is that? And then Jerry Ward, who I'll never forget it when he said it, he goes, well, you know, they can keep you from being on the property, but they can't keep you from being above it. <laughs> and I was nice. like, like, huh. So, I mean, now what you do is go get a drone, but what I had to do yeah, yeah. was go get a helicopter, and I was freaked out because I had, um, when, a lot, I mean, I was, I, I put this film together with a lot of graciousness from my friends and being cameras and time and different things like that, and a friend of mine, Dwight Tudor, who's a director of photography, he had this really nice, beautiful camera, and I, I said, hey, uh, I'm going to go shoot some B-roll down in Alabama. Can I use your camera? He goes, yeah, no problem, man. And I was like, oh, thanks so much. Hell yeah. <laughs> what I was doing, we got this helicopter, took the doors off it. I put a seatbelt around my waist, and I was literally <laughs> hanging out on the skids wow. at two feet over this runway, just trying to get basically what would be dolly shots now. Right. But I was talking to the pilot. I was like, just get me as low as you can and just do some little shots across the field and across the area. And my biggest fear was that somebody was going to come out and shoot at us. Right, while you're hanging out of this, this helicopter. And my second, my second <laughs> biggest fear was that somebody would take a picture of it and give it to Dwight and he'd see what I was doing. Right. On camera. <laughs> was that your first time in an actual helicopter? Because that's uh, quite the... My, well, it was funny because... My my grandfather, my uncle's dad, he was a pilot, and uh, he would he would take me flying when I was a kid. And I remember specifically, we were coming out of the hangar in this plane, and there was a helicopter sitting there. And he goes, "You see what that is?" And I said, "Yeah, it's a helicopter." He goes, "Nope, that's ten thousand pieces flying in close formation. Don't ever don't ever get in one." <laughs> and of course, that's resonating in my mind. I'm just like, oh my god, if I crash. On the exact site where my uncles were busted, right? It's <laughs> my buddy's camera. <laughs> so it's going to be a disaster. Oh man! So it was really funny. But to answer your question, that was probably—I think that was the first time I was in helicopters. So. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, like, with with legalization happening, kind of slowly but hopefully surely, uh, it's it was a, a better time to come out with that movie. Like, it sounds like you've had this story for quite a while and yeah, I know it I, does I, take I, a long time to, to put this stuff together, but you probably could have released it sometime earlier, but it seems like the, the, the climate of cannabis and everyone being more open about it, it makes them more receptive. Yeah. It makes it, a little, I mean, what uh, Guru is saying, it's like, it's not a shoot 'em up movie or something like that. Right. And you could park your kids down with, it's now, what I really didn't anticipate it being was it's more of like a historical archive of what my uncles went through, but also what a lot of people went through. I mean, there's been some comments on it's on Amazon Prime and um, iTunes and a couple other like Google Play and stuff like that. And I've nice. noticed like some people comment, man, I remember doing that, you know, I'll read the commentary <laughs> once in a while. I'm like, wow, that's cool. That's, that's the cool thing about the internet, right? Like there's so many people you're bound to resonate with at least a handful of them. And you're going to get a few of those comments. That's like, I did that too. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of neat. I was like, that's cool. And in my mind, I'm like, this is really resonating as a nice little piece of history. You know, like a lot of people don't even, think about that now you know i don't think i mean the, the now it's, it's certainly in los angeles it's as easy as getting a medicinal right. marijuana card and going to venice or your favorite yeah. uh place in eagle rock or wherever and i think there's now a generation of people that will have a real disconnect to what it took to get you know that joint in your hand and you know in the 
eighties, nineties, you know, early two thousand. The logistics involved of international smuggling so that you can <laughs> smoke a joint or two, you know, after school, <laughs> like yeah. back then that there was a lot involved here. Like kids that are growing up right now in Washington and, and like I said, in California, even uh, in Oregon, like they're, they just, they turn 18 and they can just go down to the shop or t- 21 and they can just go down to the shop depending on your state. It's uh, it's like not even a thing, right? Like it's completely out of their heads as it, it doesn't exist. And you know that the uh, certainly after the the, the uh, just say no policy of uh, Nancy Reagan and stuff yeah. like that, and uh, yeah. But you know, I, my uncles had shared some stories with me while they were in Colombia of just like random planes that would just show up and. Wow. In my uncles, and they'd have a fuel bladder in them, and they'd fill them up, and these guys would just load up with whatever they could and take off. And you know, they're just scratching their head, going, "These guys are flying over the Caribbean, you know, right now." You know, who knows how many people didn't make it? You know, it's it's really interesting. Probably a lot of planes uh, in the water over there. Yeah, and the, um, there was an old rock group called REO Speedwagon. Um, they had some hits in the seventies, kind of a big band. But they had this really cool. They had this really cool Lockheed Electra that was um, the type of plane that um, Amelia Earhart flew. Mm. And they had it all painted up, and they had the band's logo on the side. And some of their roadies and the pilot took it to Columbia to bring back some pot, and they got arrested. (laughs) In the REO plane? In Columbia. My uncle specifically said, he goes, I remember he would fly commercially to um, Columbia to check out strips and stuff like that. And he goes, I remember being in, I forget what town he was in, where he landed. And he goes, and there it was. Then they called it the REO Speedwagon. <laughs> Sitting on the end of the runway, you know, blocked oh up. with you know, He goes, I don't know if that band ever got that plane back. Like police know? taped up and everything. Wow. Yeah, it's just all beat up. And it's a beautiful airplane, unfortunately. Oh, man. It was pretty funny. I'm looking through the website here. If you want to check it out, groundedthemovie.com. There's a great trailer you can see, and then you can find out where you can get, like uh, Sean said, it's on iTunes, Amazon, uh, Google Play Movies and stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your team. Uh, um, I was I was super, super fortunate. I mean, I work in the film business professionally, too, so I had a lot of exposure to... Um, you know, different filmmakers and the director of photography on this film, Andrew Rawson, is a lifelong friend. Um, and Chuck Ozeas, uh and Jim Deneau, all three of them shot different parts of the film. Um, Jim just shot, shot Trumbo. Um, Chuck, Chuck is a very successful commercial um, director of photography. And Andy just shot um, telenovela and a couple other great TV shows. And so just to be around those guys and to have their input. And uh, it's 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 awesome. It's a lot of fun. I mean, just, to, and they're all really good friends. And, um, Brian Davison, the editor, we've done, um, two films together. Liz Newman and I've worked for you know, 10 years on uh, different television shows and different things like that. So when you start assembling this team, and like I said earlier, it's not like, uh, it's not like Warner Brothers is going, hey, Sean, we want to give you, you know, a ton of money to make a documentary. I mean, that's not how most documentaries are made. Right. Most documentaries are made with somebody with an idea, and they commit to making it. And then, you know, you might get lucky, and HBO says, hey, we really like that. You know, we'll give you some money to complete it, or we'll put it on the, on our network or um, 
you get lucky with distribution. I mean, all those kind of numbers things that are really kind of boring, but documentaries are generally made out of like a lot of effort, a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of love and friendship. So for sure. Generally have a good time. Is it something that you'll get up on Netflix or is that something you have to approach them or how does that sort of distribution uh, work? That, yeah, we're, I mean, we're really hoping that, I mean, that's the cash cow that everybody wants because they actually will pay you a lump sum, like the lump sum for your film, the oh, rights cool. of your film for a certain amount of years. So right. the distributor that we have, um, Passion River out of New York, they've they've been wonderful, and uh, Matt Levy there has been really great with us and trying to expose our film to different uh, platforms. So one of which uh, is Netflix. They had a meeting uh, over the summer and. They tabled it, so we're hoping that the meeting will come. There'll be another meeting in the spring of this year, and they'll they'll hopefully run with it. So that's why, I mean, we've kind of, um, you know, we've been asking people to download it on um, iTunes and Google Play and all those type of things. Like, you know, please write a review. Let us know what you're thinking of because they do look at that kind of stuff. Yeah, so you can go to them and be like, look, this movie is awesome, and it's not just <laughs> me that thinks so. Like, all of these other people think so. So put it on Netflix and let's let everybody watch it because pretty was, much everybody has Netflix. <laughs> I, was, I was pitching to, the, uh, to our distributor. I was like, 420. Come on, this is a holiday. Yeah. It's awesome. perfect. It sells itself. Funny. Yeah, like, come on, just put put a couple of really great pop movies on the front page of Netflix for the week of 420. Let's go. And Nick, you know, I think I think you're going to find a normal I mean, we, I think you're going to find a normalcy with marijuana in the next 5 years that nobody could have ever envisioned. And one of them being that a big company like Netflix might actually have a 420 week. Or you can who do you think is watching Netflix? Where do you think Netflix and chill came from? I mean, it's it's potheads. Everybody gotta smoke weed and then watch netflix because usually there's not much on if you've had netflix like you've watched the catalog <laughs> you're like waiting for new great things like grounded to come on there so you can watch that <laughs> that's right you don't need more doug benson you know talking about weed because yeah i think doug but benson's it's good but, good, but it's not you know you can only take so much i, I think that's right and, i no, think that's why netflix tabled it in, in your defense because they were just like oh that last doug benson special it was just you know, <laughs> doug too benson weed, too much Weed. It took we all our weed more, money. Like, animals swimming in the ocean, right? <laughs> our weed budget is overdrawn <laughs> because right. Doug Benson. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, he's our guy. Yeah, he's maybe guy. next year. <laughs> no, it's kind of we got um, one another funny story that happened that turned into a really interesting thing was that um, we played uh, a film festival uh, in Athens, Georgia, the Dixie Film Festival, which I was excited. I didn't go to UGA, but I went to West Georgia, so I was able to expose you know a few people that I went to school with to the film, and they all kind of hauled themselves out to Athens. And the logo for that film, um, because it all takes place um, you know, in, in Florida, in Georgia, or not Georgia, but Florida and Alabama primarily. So I was like, well, you know, it should have a, you know, the, the poster should have like a tie into the South. And I, you know, thought to myself, well, the Confederate flag is a pretty interesting, you know, source, you know, of artwork that people know immediately. So I was like, well, what if we change the stars into uh, pot leaves? <laughs> so <laughs> in the back of my mind, I was like, that's going to be the flag of the marijuana culture is this fake confederate flag with the pot <laughs> so i was very proud of myself and, and i thought it was good and, and the artwork that was, that was done by susan bulls who's art director of a project that i worked on she 
worked on it and came back and I was like, oh my God, that's like way better than I thought in my mind that this poster would look. And so what other way to attract trolls on Facebook, you know, well, but, then you that's know a exactly, transmogrification of the that is, flag. That is exactly <laughs> what happened. And I couldn't believe it because I was contacted by um, a gentleman who was going to do a film review. And I was familiar with the guy's work. And I was like, this guy's pretty fair. He's not like a critic. He, he'll either tell you it's worth seeing or not seeing. So and it was <laughs> going to be in Georgia. And I was like, OK, good. This is good that I've got his attention. And I was like, you know, and I felt fairly, I mean, you're always, as a creative person, you're always a little bit nervous that there's some little tick in there that they're not going to like. And they always, no matter how fair they are, they always, they always say something nice and they'll throw a little something in there just to let you know that they're paying attention. Oh, they have to. They have to. It's always a little something that just like (laughs) every filmmaker, it's just, it's like a knife in the heart, you know, (laughs) even if it's the slightest thing. (laughs) So I was bracing myself for that so i i knew that he sent me an email today the review is coming out tomorrow and it was a friday i was like great you know this is really great so friday morning uh i got up early and i was like oh good i'm laying in bed and i'm like everybody else i'm checking my phone and i'm like oh, let's see what's on the review thing and i read the review and i was like wow you know that was that was a good review i was excited and then it said four comments and i'm like oh Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the first comment and it was like, this filmmaker is a disgrace to the University of West Georgia and George, he's a Yankee and I can't believe he de- he, he basically desecrated a symbol of the Confederate Army. And I was oh, like, man. oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> and I was like, and then the next person said that I was like despicable to do that. And uh, I, I was stunned. I couldn't believe it. But then... We had posted the review on our social media stuff, and then, uh, like, people, it was nuts. Like, people just started responding to it. And then I got an email at, like, 4 o'clock that afternoon from the gentleman who did the review. He's like, <laughs> I've been doing reviews for 20 years. He goes, this is the most these are the most comments I've ever gotten on any film in my career. <laughs> Struck a nerve. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. That was funny. I was like, ah, you know, just go see the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're welcome. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right. sorry <laughs> for all the awful <laughs> comments. It was, it was pretty funny, but like, uh, uh, you know, some people hold the, they don't like that flag being messed with. And I really didn't think we, you know, I thought it was kind of, it was certainly way cooler now. <laughs> well, you just you just wait till y'all Kata gets a hold of that. They're going to be pretty pissed. <laughs> exactly, y'all Kata. Those work. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, before we get out of here, give us a couple uh, teaser stories uh, from the movie. Like, what what was your favorite uh, part, like story wise? Uh, you know, because I, I mean, I really um, dig the flying part, uh, the flying aspect of it, yeah. and. My Uncle Terry, he flew uh, corporate with my uh, grandfather, and it was very much, uh, you know, they fly some rich guys to, you know, the masters, wait <laughs> till they're done uh, all day. Don't go to the masters, just wait at the airport, and then the rich guys come back, and then they fly. And I think, you know, at some point, I think every pilot that does that, um, the, the joy of it can be uh, a little bit tampered down. And when the opportunity came for up for him to fly, you know, an exciting, thrilling type of thing, like going to Colombia and picking up marijuana and then flying to the United States. And when you fly to the United States, you have to put that plane on the deck. I mean, you can't go in at, you know, 10,000 feet. You got to go in at 100 feet. 
So you're avoiding all the radar installations. Wow. So that kind of flying, I think, really, to hear him, and then you definitely get it in the film. I mean, he's a passionate uh, pilot, and it'll always be with him. So when he talks about his first time doing it, which is also um, kind of um, the excitement of that is also shared in the trailer. But the first time he did it, um, they were coming back from Columbia, and I think they were in a, a Lockheed Glowed Star, which is actually featured in the film, and landed in some watermelon field in Florida. And, you know, the middle of the night, you know, there's nothing there except a couple guys with flashlights, you know, to give them some direction on where to land, <laughs> and which is nuts anyway. And when they when he crawls over from the pilot seat back to open the door, it was his brother, my uncle Jimmy, who was kind of running the ground crew. That was the first person he saw just like going, Holy, I mean, I think it was a great Holy shit moment. (laughs) And to hear them both tell that story, um, as a filmmaker, it was awesome. But as you know, those are my uncles, you know, who I just, you know, at the time I, you know, I still do. I, I idolize those guys. They're great. They're just great people and great storytellers. And to have them so excited, about something that their brother, you know, their brother was doing. It was a great moment, you know, and it was really cool to capture that on film. Your uncles sound like the evil Knievel of pot smuggling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they they definitely had a couple mishaps like uh, evil Knievel and those, you know, cataloging those. And they, I mean, like a lot of people, I think, you know, like if you watch, um, uh, um, Gosh, I can't remember the. There was a really great documentary about um, smuggling in general, but it was more cocaine, cocaine cowboys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way those guys tell the story, like nothing ever went wrong. You know, we were, and, and that could have been the the um, the cocaine the choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> it could have been the film. We're invincible. <laughs> yeah, it comes off as very much. We had everything planned out. You know, we would fly in Northern California, and we'd put our pod and trucks and take them on tow trucks down south and the cops never knew i mean it was like they they were these calculated people that everything worked you know for those guys and that's when i watched those films and they were very well done and i i i wonder i'm like wow man these guys these guys are badasses they didn't make any mistakes <laughs> and then when i talked to my uncles and even in their film i'm like going holy shit they fucked up all the time you know and it, was, it was like really refreshing like because they they weren't perfect and then as that's all these stories were developing, I'm like going, hmm. I bet there were some really good screw ups in you know, in the uh, cocaine cowboy stuff that they just didn't share or something like that to give it more of an aura of badasses. Oh, you know? for so, sure. And, and that and, that and the fact that those guys are staying up way more hours through the night planning, pot. meticulously planning. Potheads are just like, <laughs> I man, can't I'm imagine that. Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, they had the uh, close friendships <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, my uncles enjoyed probably and, a lot more paranoia. <laughs> oh my god, what a miserable existence! Yeah, jeez. <laughs> oh, just even like the the. Um, the tenseness, I guess, of of when they're telling the story about, you know, landing in this foreign land, you know, like, what do we expect when, when we get there? And it, and then to, you know, see how it all, all worked out. Like, it, it is, it's like two totally different sides of probably the same cartel <laughs> at some yeah. point, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, I think there was a lot of, uh, I mean, my, my uncle is being of the hippie generation. They're, you know, they're into the whole hippie dogma type stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they believe that, you know, putting that stuff out there, 
I mean, they they liked marijuana. They still like marijuana, and it's like you know, my uncles are always like, you know, there's nothing, you know, pot's a natural thing. It's not like, uh, you know, they didn't see it as like, uh, you know, something that was ruining families or ruining, you know, different, you know, you know, just there's a lot of ruin with cocaine, <laughs> right? But there was a lot of like. Uh, not mental, but a lot of verbal ruin about marijuana back then, and they were smart enough to be able to think for themselves and not buy into that whole reefer yeah. madness craze. I mean, also, I mean the the same trade routes that those guys were using are the same ones used for cocaine. So, I mean, had they wanted to, they could have done it, but I think they felt that the karmatic weight of that was just Absolutely. more than they ever wanted to bear. And you know, probably at that time. The jail time was probably similar. You know, it's not too too much difference. So it's not like I mean, I think it weighed heavily on them that that was something that they didn't want to dance with. So, well, plus, do you want to get into competition with the CIA? I mean, oh. come on. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of their biz, <laughs> or was, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere out there, there's a young guy that's uh, listening to his uncles uh, that are CIA guys talking yeah. about that. Maybe there'll be a movie in ten years. Did I ever about tell it. you the time we used to smuggle cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's interesting. I saw this article on Raw's story uh, about why marijuana is banned, like the real reason everything, and it, it reminded me of the very first episode of The Hot Box back in 08 when we started this show. Uh, my friend Sandy and I started it. We went into that whole like Harry Anslinger and how he first was like, oh, weed's not that bad, but then the alcohol prohibition stopped and he had nothing to do, and he was like, oh, now weed's bad. We have a cause again, and uh, yeah, that just that whole interesting thing that kicked off this prohibition and all of the lies and everything that kind of came with it to to demonize the plants and get people to think a certain way about it. And but, the people that thought for themselves, the hippies and everything, like they were, they were like, "You guys are out of your mind. Weed is great." <laughs> I mean, it's certainly, um, you know, certainly with the medical marijuana. I mean, it, there's there's just some facts that people can't deny yeah and you know i never knew anybody that crashed their car because they were smoking pot you know and uh i mean they definitely ate some doritos but they didn't go out and beat go home and beat their wife or anything like that and those are all kind of things that at least in my family with my uncles that was what they were kind of just trying to tell me i mean i've never um you know they were pretty open with me about you know what their views were on pot and at the time when we you know when I was out of college and before we even started this film, they're just like, this is who we are. This is what we do. Um, you know, they don't see it as anybody getting hurt by their actions. And certainly now, I mean, they're, I mean, certainly, you know, if you're smoking a joint in the seventies, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people that paid a price, you know, to get that pot to you, you yeah, know, whatever right. you know, smugglers getting caught or whatever it is, there's risk, there's reward. And now as all that's being stripped away, uh, it's, it's been really freeing for people, you know, not to, I mean, God, there's like, I couldn't imagine what people that sell cigarettes, you know, what that burden would be. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> do you smoke? You're like, that, do... Sean, because I've been reading the book by, uh, the cannabis manifesto by Steve D'Angelo and he's in his late fifties and he's talking about growing up as a teenager and in his twenties and consuming cannabis, you know, Panama red and Acapulco gold and stuff that was not <laughs> cultivated in the United States, but that was smuggled in. Uh, and you know, we always kind of, uh, romanticize or, or turn into a stereotype, that image of the high school or college kid, you know, smoking a joint of this stuff after school and the whole romance of 420, 
but you bring up a very good point. How the hell did it get here in the first place? And and it was right. guys who had balls of brass like this and, <laughs> and found a little a, a romanticism and adventure in, uh, you know, bringing it back and maybe earning a fair living at it. That's, yeah, and that, one of the cool, like I said earlier, is that, like, the, the unintended consequences of this film is that it's a historical record of a group of people, not just my uncles, but, you know, probably hundreds and hundreds of pilots and uh, guys on the ground and people that let you uh, store marijuana in their basement <laughs> and different things like that that have been unrecorded. And like we said, this new generation, when they turn 18 or 21, depending on the state, they can go down to the cannabis club or whatever and then yeah. enjoy what they want freely without even knowing the history of it. So um, the bootlegger aspect of it um, was something that I know that the law enforcement guys really dug because, you know, they love the cat and mouse chase. And, you know, when you compare those two worlds, um, it's kind of neat and it's always a fun story. So it's kind of neat that way. Yeah, they and I mean who who else is going to write the history? Like if we want an actual fair account of it of like truthful history, you know, you can't rely on on what you see in our history books that you grow up with in school. So it's good to have these records out there, especially yeah, with the I mean, internet. I mean, we can It's know. great now that like people are like uh, myself are telling this family story. I mean, I know that there's hundreds of people out there like me that have a similar story. Um, that, you know, they'll document it, you know, and, uh, that'll be on the record and it'll be really great. And, you know, maybe one day, uh, 20 years from now, people will see value in telling that story about, well, why was marijuana so criminalized? And, you know, why were we locking people up for pot, you know, you know, and those types of things. And this will all help, help the narration. You know, I don't anticipate the government (laughs) being the, uh, you know, the arbiter of a, true and accurate story but as long as we have platforms like uh google and amazon and types of things like that where you can set up your own website and download your own movie um you know people will be able to tell these stories and that's why i think documentaries are so important no matter you know no matter what the topic i mean they start the conversation and I, i think i got lucky with how the times have changed and now it'll be looked at as a more of a historical record you know a fun historical record in 60 years, it'll be playing in a kiosk at the Smithsonian in D.C. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you guys actually got in trouble for this? Weird. Yeah, Grandpa, exactly. what's wrong with <laughs> That's Ooh. cool. So what do you – do you got uh, some other projects you're working on next? Or are you kind of taking a break, I'm sure, for, for now? Or I've been – yeah. Actually, I, I did a TV pilot uh, based on the guy who actually – I, you know, again, in documentary films, like the plane that we used uh, was a Lockheed Gloodstar, and there aren't that many of them. And I found this wonderful guy named Scott Holm, was an aviation broker who had just by chance had just restored that plane that we used in the film. Oh, wow. And he was so gracious. I was, I told him the story, you know, I told him what was going on and I needed a plane. And, and he was like, Your uncle's flew this plane? I was like, Yes. Yeah. And, he was like, I'm there. So he, I mean, you know, at a, at a great expense to himself because those things cost about $1,000 an hour to fly. I bet. He flew it down to this little airport that we were at. And uh, we started in a really nice friendship. So through a couple other contacts, we just shot a pilot called um, Plane Nuts. And it's about him. He's an aviation broker. So he goes around and he finds these these planes and restores them and sells them. And it's, it's I didn't even know this world existed. So that was that 
that's the latest thing I'm working on. And I'm researching a couple other like full feature length documentaries. So that's, it's just never ending. <laughs> My wife rolls her eyes all the time. That's yeah. cool though. It's something you enjoy doing. And when going back to when you were talking about your team, it just sounds like a bunch of friends going out to go shoot a movie. It's not like, Oh, I got to yeah. go to work now. You know, like that, that, that makes it that much better. It is. I mean, that's a, a, that is a really great aspect to it because we do find ourselves like, and it's definitely collaborative because I'm, I'm in no way, you know, I mean, I rely heavily on that team. I mean, and the, Liz and Andy and uh, certainly Jim and Chuck and Brian, our editor, I mean, it's a collaborative effort. And it's always like, you know, sometimes I get this vision in my head and they go, yeah, that's really good. Or, you know, somebody will go, yeah, Sean, uh, that sucks. <laughs> this is terrible. Next. <laughs> and you need those people around you. Yeah, yeah. You need, you need the guy. You don't want to surround yourself with yes men. No, no. You'll end up with a horrible, you know, piece of crap. Yeah, so, you, or you would never get anything done because every idea is great and you would try and pursue it and then, yeah, that's... If anybody ever told me I was a genius, I would get rid of them. Yeah, <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> yeah. But thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you taking the time out to come talk to us about the film and everything. Uh, grounded thank you the so mo- much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Groundedthemovie.com. You guys can check it out there. And like I said, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon. We'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes at hotboxpodcast.com so greatly appreciated thank you so much Matt yeah absolutely pleasure man. speaking with you guys cool man we'll catch you later alright take care write a review yeah definitely we'll get every, we'll, we'll get everyone to do that go write awesome. reviews and share it out on social networks so we can see it on Netflix thanks so much I appreciate it yeah man have a great night you too bye alright Sean Crowell groundedthemovie.com Definitely check that shit out. It's a pretty awesome film. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. Hotboxpodcast.com. Check it out every week. Uh, we're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes also. Uh, Project LD50, new hip hop album. If you guys like that stuff, it's on Google Play, Bandcamp, iTunes, stuff like that. So, uh, follow the Hotbox on Twitter and on the Facebooks. And Gooey and I will talk to you guys next week. All right, peace out. If you like, you we, like we, this we, is where you, where need, you to need to be. be. <laughs> if you like weed, this is where you need to be. Thank you for listening to the Hotbox Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hotbox Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hotbox Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hotbox Podcast.